diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation, and discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. As we conclude our Abide series, I was just thinking about some things as a young man that I really loved and I really enjoyed. And one of the things I enjoyed growing up is uh, being able to use my imagination to make up fun. And as a young man, you make up that kind of fun that's you in the woods, in a fort, uh, charging a castle and different things like that. I know that the world thinks a lot of those thoughts for our young people so they don't have the opportunity to dream the way we did. And one of my favorite shows uh, of all time, um, you're probably familiar with it, was The Three Musketeers. And one of the things they would say, you know, they'll put their swords in and say, uh, uh, all for one. See, you know it. And so it made you feel good. It feels like the right statement. It feels like the right way of thinking. But in reality, it's not all for one. And it's not one for all. It's more every man for himself. Handle your business. Do what you got to do. Work that stuff out in advance before you bring it to me and having the opportunity to lean on another group of people who have you as a priority seems to be something written in a fairy tale versus reality. So we love to say the refrain if we're playing imaginary games. But in reality, it is not, according to statistics, all for one <laughs> and one for all. Now, they uh, very well did a study about group dynamics in problem solving. It's not just a scripture verse that two is better than one and a three-fold accord is not easily broken. It has been proven statistically that your problem solving ability and your functionality happens at a heightened, more productive way when it's done in a group versus isolation. So then, therefore, we know that it's an important feature. It makes us ask the question, then, then who's my group? And, and wh where am I most likely to be productive and fruitful if I actually do need a group? And I believe that when we look at the scripture today, you'll, you'll possibly have the opportunity to answer that question. And one of the things that sometimes keeps us from the group is the sense of individuality we have to fulfill our individual purposes or individual callings because it's easier to think of ourselves individually than it is collectively as a group. And I can imagine that the early church could have taken this approach when on the day that Jesus was ascending in Matthew 28 verse 19, he gives them this instruction which could have been seen very individualistically and cause a scattering effect versus a gathering effect. And it simply says uh, to go, tells the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or every nation, teaching them to observe and to do all that I've written. And while he said that to a group, we kind of hear it as individuals. Because we would love to be all for one and one for all, 
But because it's every man for himself, we only think about what we can do to be and do and fulfill that mandate from God. I think that God himself knew that man would have trouble in group dynamics. He knew from the very first moment that he made the first man and woman, he created them, male and female created he them, and he said that it wasn't good for them to be alone, even though it can feel good to be alone. Because before I talk about the group, let me talk about the joys of being alone. Nobody bothers you. If you're a parent, you don't have to feed nobody. Nobody needs money. Nobody needs you to solve an argument, a problem. It's just peaceful. You just binge watch your show. Oh, you know, you just keep going. You ever been in that loop? You thought, this is life. And if there was a, somebody who could just bring you the popcorn and the drinks to you, but you would say, this is living. Because somehow we've been convinced that living by ourselves, living in isolation, is better than living with people who can hurt you. Because they can. They can disappoint you. So as they've gotten this mandate, Jesus has told them to go. And the other thing he tells them to do is to go to Jerusalem and wait before you go until you be endued with power. And 120 people went into a room to wait on the Lord. Here's the problem. Sometimes God gives you a word and you and I feel that that's enough to act on or to go on. But the first thing he tells them when they get a word is, you've got the word, now go wait for me to activate it and activate you. And go wait with a group. I mean, I don't want to do that. I've got a word. I've got me, myself, and I, and I've got independence, and I just want to work on that. And as they wait on the group, I just want to read this first scripture to you. First, um, I mean, not first. Acts 1, let's start at the 13th verse. Here's what it says. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. This is 120 people he, he'd been speaking to where they were staying. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, and, 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 and Simon. And all of them were of one accord, and they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother, you mean to tell me when they've got the greatest word from the greatest man to do the greatest work that humanity's ever known, that the thing that they're supposed to do is assemble in a group and wait further instructions. You could imagine when you're ready to go and somebody slow you down, that's frustrating. When you're ready to go and somebody tells you the thing you need to do is be connected with other people, that's frustrating. See, they were devoted. Let me just put my word, the definition of this word uh, devotion up here on the screen. I want you to understand the type of devotion they had. Put, put my definition up there, please. This is not out of Webster's. This is the breakdown of the Greek word that I didn't put up because you wouldn't be able to pronounce it. It means to be steadfast in strength, to be persistence, to show strength which prevails in spite of difficulties, to endure, to remain firm, to stay in a fixed direction. You, you, you are focused. You are committed. 
You are standing strong. What were they doing? Standing strong together in prayer. Standing strong together, getting communion and communication from God. Standing strong together to, for God to give them direction. They were devoted to this. What are you devoted to? What are you standing firm in? What are you standing firm on? When I'm offended, you know what I stand firm on? My offense. Maybe not you. When I'm broken, you know what I stand firm on? My brokenness. When I'm frustrated, I stand firm on my frustration. When I'm disappointed and I know someone did something to me, I stand on my disappointment, my frustration, and my, my ability to be anger. I'm angry. I'm devoted to it. I stay steadfast in it. I persist in it. Devotion can be used incorrectly or can be used correctly. And these people at the beginning of the church knew that their devotion needed to be to the Lord, even though he had them wait while they were fugitives, wait while they were on the run, wait knowing that he was murdered, wait knowing that this community needed their message and, and, and at any moment if they stayed centralized like that they could go down he's asking you to wait when it's inconvenient wait when the future is up for grabs you want me to wait and they were devoted they were standing firm in waiting on the Lord in a group I believe that the Lord was setting them up for something great he wasn't setting them up for something bad. The enemy will tell you that the Lord doesn't mean you good when the only thing that can come out of what the Lord is directing you to do is good. They stayed in that upper room, and I'm letting you know, in that upper room for 50 days, you can imagine all of the conversations that was going on. We know that they were staying stuck to the word because they were talking about uh, replacing Judas and praying through that. But you also know that if you're in a room with 120 people and y'all just went through something pretty tough, you have watched enough TV to know that somebody's going to be arguing with somebody. Somebody said to Peter, you got us in this mess. You, you had us going the wrong direction when the Lord told us to go to Jerusalem the first time. Now we had now in the room with you. You always getting us in trouble. You know, you can imagine all of the stuff and the, all of the conversations that take place in a room with other broken human beings. But it's funny to me that it's not written about. We have no conversation that says Bartholomew had an argument with, with Simon because what happens in your small group should stay in your small group. The reason every detail of what happened is not in the Bible is because not everybody needs every detail that happened in your life. We all have to have confidentiality in our groups, and we have to have discretion in our groups. And that's clear that they had both in their groups. God is not asking you to go with broken people without instruction. It's written in between the lines that they were learning to care for one another in that group. And as they were there, not knowing how long, 
and the day of Pentecost finally come, uh, fully, fully came, they were, the, the house was filled where they were sitting and cloven tongues like a power, uh, a fire appeared on each of them. And they all began to speak in other tongues and the people nearby began to, to hear their, their languages. They were God-fearing Jews from all over. They were a part of the di- diaspora and they heard it and they started thinking that these people were drunk and Peter got up and preached a message that these people are not drunk. He began to preach a gospel that they could understand and the Bible said they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved. And he said, repent and be baptized every one of you and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we pick it up in verse 31. You know what happened? In, in, in verse 41, he exhorted them with many other words saying, save yourselves from a crooked, crooked generation. So those who received the word and were baptized were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. 3,000 people were added because they say devoted. 3,000 people were added because they stayed steadfast. Devotion to his word creates community. And it can create a community for seemingly the most unlikely people. The people you would think that were God-fearing Jews who were committed to temple worship, that were committed to looking for a Messiah, would be the very people who would fight against the new Christians. It would be the very people who, who were in crowds screaming, crucify him. It would be unlikely that these same crowds would be the people who were turning to him. But sometimes the most unlikely people to have community with are the people that God has assigned you to have community with. I'm letting you know that somehow the people who are in the Bible Belt who have been coming to church their whole life, who are now outside of the church, are probably more open to Christian values and Christian living and to be reached by the gospel than ever before. Don't give up on people. I know it's easy to go all over the world, but before they go, he had them to stay because there's a group of people that are already near you who need to hear the good news about who Jesus is from a revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit so they can become community. Stay devoted. Stay consistent. You got friends that are already in your life. You have neighbors that are already in your life. You have people that are so close to you that they can see and hear your life from the window or from your house or from their from your cubicle or place of work. And if you will stay consistent and you stay firm and you stay devoted to the Lord, stay in your own group and stay with the right message, those people who seem most unlikely to become community will become community. A lot of people have lied to you and said, I I got hurt by the church. I've already given it a chance. I'm not going back to the church. Don't believe that message. That was just to shake you off, to see if you was really committed, if you was going to stay in it with them. They want you to fight for their life. The people on campus who have have heard your message over and over again, who given you the do not disturb sign, knock that sign down. Say, I know you want me to talk to you about the love of God because they're ready to give in and become community when we stay devoted to the word. Now, they didn't stay devoted as individuals. They stayed devoted as a group. They didn't think that reaching the world was just individualistic. It was also a group assignment. And when they were praying, They were praying, they were using the principles of unity. Remember Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It provides an anointing, it provides a blessing, it provides a refreshing. You want to get refreshed, stay in unity with your brother. You want to see powerful breakthroughs, stay in unity with your brothers and sisters. You want to see the favor of God on your life and your own individual life be refreshed, stay in unity with your brother. They were devoted to the word that had that way. Now, not only were they like that, 
in the early church when they began, when this particular word devotion shows up again in Acts 2.42. And in this word devotion, I want to point out that two years before COVID started, this is the scripture, Acts 2.42, that God gave to me to give to this church. In the secret sauce of Bethel staying together through COVID and not going the way of many churches that have closed down, many have never reopened their doors. It's because we, we stay devoted to a way of doing discipleship. We stay devoted in, in the, the almost 200 life groups, life group leaders we've had over the last season of time have held our church together and it's been powerful. But what did they look like? What was the way? What was the, the, the way that they were devoted to? Let's look at Acts 2.42 and let's read it together, even online. Ready? Read. The 43. They were not just devoted to the word and it brought community. They sustained that community by staying devoted to the way. What was the way? That first 121, they stayed working in the apostles' doctrine. They referred back to a scripture that says that there were going to be 12. He appointed 12 apostles, so they began to pray and ask God to give them who the 12th person was. Was it supposed to be Matthias? They, they, they were praying, they were communing and communicating with God. They were fellowshipping and they were being together together and they were exchanging with one another. They, they were constantly being a community of believers that was eating and hanging and being together. And when the first group of 3,000 people joined the church, you know what they kept doing to sustain that way of life? They kept on following the teachings. They kept on fellowshipping and eating and praying together. There's a lot of teachers you can follow right now. There are a lot of people who are powerful. The T.D. The Jakes of the world. The, the, um, what's my man with the beard that I really love? I just forgot his name. Stephen Furtick. You know he good. He's just real good. And he cool too. You know what I'm saying? He's got that vibe. There's a lot of voices that you can follow. There's a lot of people that you can follow. But not everyone that you follow has a specific rhema individual word to you. The command to the pastors is to shepherd the flock of God that's in front of them. And even though you can enjoy a word that comes from another place, if you've not been devoted to the word that comes from your place, you still won't have clear direction. You won't know what makes you safe. You won't know what you're distinctive with. What Paul did was teach every day in the temple courts, in house to house. He taught what was profitable for learning, what got rid of evil, what was good for building up doctrine. He did it so consistently that one time he preached all day and all night. Somebody fell out dead. He raised him from the dead and he kept on teaching. I'm just telling you that teaching is that important. Teaching prevents you from being tricked 
from getting duped, from not knowing who you are. Debbie's daddy, when he was living, said, if you want to know the difference between a counterfeit and the truth, you don't study the counterfeits, you study the truth. And we have the word of truth. We have the words to bring eternal life. You not only have the words that's in the Bible that, that we're reviewing by being devoted to the word, trying to read through the New Testament. We don't have, we have devotionals that Pastor Dave was talking about where listen is taking you through a, a, a reading plan. The more you stay in the word, the safer you will be from confusion. I know, I, I just keep looking at what they're teaching. See, it's apostles' doctrine, but the government's going to teach you a doctrine, doctrine that's inconsistent with the word of God. You need to fight it. The school system is teaching your children doctrine that is not according to the word of God. You need to fight it. Your boss is going to ask you to do something that lacks integrity, and you need to know the word of God that have the strength to push it back. You need a group of people that are Holy Ghost filled, that you're around on a regular basis where you can express how you feel and what you think to, and somebody can help you say, here's what the word of God says. And then they fellowship together. This fellowship, this kononia has been limited somehow to just um, a, a relationship or, or just a partnership. But there was something far greater than this than, that was at stake. This was a friendship. This was just uh, a sharing at a table together. And this was contributing to one another in an exchange. This was me saying, I'm your brother. I got you. What you need? I'm, I'm, I'm your sister. You need this? We're going to come clean your house. We're going to come cook your meal. We're going to pay this next light bill. They were, they were bringing their possessions and their things to the church to the benefit of others, and they were not doing this in a way that was contrived or controlling or demanding, like being a part of a cult who now owns your business. Like, like, the church should never be looking at your business like it's their, you know, theirs. Everything that God gave you is yours, but they freely gave because they were in fellowship. It's a free will offering. It's a level of camaraderie. Aren't you happy? I'm so happy that there's been people in my life who took a responsibility for my life, who did not birth me, who are not my blood, and, but yet they feel a connection to me to pour into my life as though we were blood. That is powerful when you would be all for one and one for all, when your life, my life means to you more than your life means to you at that moment. It's not trying to say that you are greater than me or I'm greater than you. It's just that we in this together. That's fellowship. The breaking of bread. It's not just eating some food, but I want to let you know that, that this is how we know we all have time for discipleship in life groups and to be in the groups. Because most of us going to eat every day. Every day. Now, when you do it alone, grab your TV dinner or grab your food or go to your room or sit on your tray or, or just sit by yourself or, 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 or sit alone, you might be missing a discipleship opportunity. On campus, don't eat alone. You got to eat. Don't eat alone. At work, don't eat alone. Families, stop eating alone. I don't have time to do a life group. Invite another family over during your dinner time. Then that take you an hour or maybe 90 minutes. They can go home. And then you get your life back, you know, because I know it's important to you. But you can advance as a community together. But this was more than eating food. After they ate food, they did 
the Lord's Supper together or they had a communion table. They made sure that people were right with God. The gospel was preached. An explanation of the blood, the explanation of his body was in every home. See, when we have small groups, it always involves the word. It always involves bringing people into intimate relationship with God and reconciliation. You're not just meeting with people to talk about the latest fashion, to talk about sports, to hang out on your common interests. You're there and you are always bringing the conversation back to where are you with the Lord? This is the difference between a life group because the word brings light and life. He is a life-giving spirit. And when God is in the group, it's always going to be full of life. That means you're not spending your time in your life group telling everybody how sinful they are. It's not what you do in a life group. We want to talk about your sins. Who wants to go first? Don't do that. Don't do that. People should be free to share and then know what the life giver has done to bring life in that situation. People should be free to tell you where they're confused and know what the life giver has done to bring an end to that confusion. But they should never come to a life group and feel condemned. They should feel that they have the opportunity to come into life. See, these type of life groups full of prayer, which is when we, when we talk about a life group in our church, being all for one and one for all. We talk about, you know, you get your life group, a little a warm up, the word, application, and then prayer. But the part that gets left out all the time of life groups is the prayer. It's, it's almost as if we say, well, if we have time, we'll pray. But if you have a group like they did, 120, that already said yes to the Lord, and there's a group on the outside waiting to get your attention, that a prayer for them, they, they have a prayer request. And you know what that request is for them on the outside? What do we have to do to be saved? They didn't say those exact words to you yet. I'm telling you, there are people around you that are waiting on the, the, to ask you the question, what do we have to do to be like you? They were devoted not just to the word that brought community. They were devoted to his way that sustained community, brought power, brought people together, brought people exchanging possessions. In the conclusion, let's look at verse 46 and 47. Let's see the final, what devotion finally did for him. 46. Ready? Read. I grew up in a faith tradition where there was a reason to be at church every day of the week. And I know that the climate of the current world, there's almost now only a reason to be at church maybe once a month or every other month for people. Because there are meaningful things we do in life that crowd out our attention to being together as the believers. But the secret sauce is being together. The early church, when it first started, was there together in the big group and in the small group. And this was the secret sauce of advancing the mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This was it. And the scripture says 
that I just read that they had favor with all people or all ethnicities. What brought them the favor was being together. What brought them the favor was them trusting God instead of going out on their own strength. They waited there and God brought God-fearing Jews from all different nations to them to give them 3,000 people in one day. What if the way that God wants you to go and God wants you to work is easier than everything you can come up with, but we can all outsmart ourselves? I'm going to tell you the things that have made me quote-unquote successful in life have everything to do with my group, the group of people that you're around. A lot of times people make the mistake of giving me credit, like even that little, my 50th birthday and 10-year celebration, in my mind I was thinking how many faces should go in front of me because the only reason I'm able to stand here is because of the level of discipleship that's been done in my life for many, many, many years. I am begging you not to think that you've got it all on your own. I'm begging you to not just be devoted to the word and get community, not just be devoted to the way and sustain community. I want you to be devoted to his will in your life right now so that you can actually see the kingdom grow. They were so devoted to his will, his word and his way, that what happened was the church went from 120 to 3,000. They got filled again. It went to they, another 5,000 men were added, not counting women and children. And in just a few decades, there were over 100,000 believers that could fulfill the mandate to go into all the world together. And according to John 17, which says, Lord, make them one as we are one, you and me and I and them, that they may be one and know that the world has sent me and I love them. When you're together with other people in a group and being waiting on the Holy Spirit to fulfill the missional mandate, God makes it easy, and those people right around you are going to be able to multiply life groups evangelistically. How do I, why do I say that? Because the outsider can see themselves as the insider. It's not just what the 120 did. It's what they invited the next 3,000 people into. They invited them into community. Stand to your feet. I like to... Dave, you can close this out, but I'd like to say a prayer over this people. Close your eyes just for a second and raise your hand. Hand up in like a surrender posture to the Lord. Lord, I know it's so easy to just do what I want to do the way I want to do it, when and how I want to do it. Will you help me and help us get out of what I want to do. Not just hear the words go, we hear the words wait with my group of people that I might be filled of your fruitfulness and instruction. Give me, give us a sensitive heart to know what the will of the Lord is. Breathe on us freshly because we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.